You're listening to another sermon podcast presented by Chelsea Presbyterian Church. Located in Chelsea, Alabama, we value community, fellowship, and love for people from all walks of life. For more information, find us online at www.chelseaprez.org or check us out on Facebook. You see the scripture reading in your bulletin. Would you follow along with me as I read from Genesis 1 and Colossians 1? James asked me to preach in this series of the names of God, and he gave me Elohim from Genesis 1.1. So listen carefully, this is God's word. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then from Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be Will you pray with me? Lord God, as we have your word open before us, we pray that our hearts and minds might be open. Help me, Lord, in the spirit to speak your truth. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have given to us in creation and redemption. And we bow before you. In the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray together. Amen. You see that line there? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The first line of the Bible may be its most controversial line. To believe in the 21st century that indeed God has created, that you and I are made in his image that our destiny is eternal, that God has redeemed us, brought us into relationship with himself by the peace and reconciliation made by the cross. You know, John 1.1 sort of begins in a way that reminds us of Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. These two lines tell of our family history. I guess the first question that I would ask you in the light of this truth, in the light of this statement of fact, is where does your story begin? How do you see yourself? Our family history 
as told in Genesis, begins with God. If there is an overarching story, if there is a narrative, it has an author. Our story, our history begins outside of history. It begins with God who creates. Creation doesn't create the creator. The creator creates creation. The world is not me-centered. It's God-centered. Daniel Yanklovich is a social analyst, and he writes, by concentrating day and night on our feelings, our potentials, our needs, our wants, our desires, and by learning to assert those more freely, we do not become freer or more spontaneous or more creative. We become narrower and more self-centered, more isolated. We don't grow, we shrink. The prevailing philosophy and worldview that we live into in our modern culture is individualistic and humanistic. It doesn't begin with God, it begins with us. That's why I say that the first line of the Bible is so controversial, because what we believe is quite radical. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. To frame it this way, we are either the holy possession of God in Christ, personally chosen by God, predestined for communion with God, adopted into the community of God's people, recipients of God's grace, redeemed by his personal sacrifice, signed and sealed and delivered by the Holy Spirit, or, or, are we the accidental product of an impersonal universe, subject to blind chance, random forces, existing in a sphere of energy, devoid of promise, plan, and purpose? I don't see how we can't frame the question that radically, that starkly. Either God is real, and we belong to God in Christ, and God has worked in history to redeem and reconcile us to himself, or we are just the product of impersonal forces. Life is just random chances and choices. Is there an overarching purpose of life? And do we know that God? Anthony Bourdain, you remember him, CNN, travel and food. Larger life persona, a kind of every man's celebrity. I don't think anybody's come close to kind of his profile. He's kind of an iconic figure of a modern age person. One of his colleagues said, everybody wants to be Anthony Bourdain, over-liquored, overfed, traveling the world, having fun, connecting with people, and getting paid for it. 
Anthony, in his own life story, talks about thinking that he would never have survived his 20s. Demons of alcohol, heroin, and cocaine. But one day, he looked in the mirror and saw somebody worth saving. And you know, his creator would agree with him. He looked in the mirror and saw somebody worth saving. Now, Anthony believed that he had to save himself. The biblical story is that God saves us. Anthony loved the line, your body is not a temple. It's an amusement park. Enjoy the ride. And what a contrasting line to your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you when you have what you have received from God. If you listen to the beginning of the story, you can't help but understand that God is the subject of that story. Genesis 1, God said, God created, God made, God saw, God called. And that there's, in Genesis 1, sort of a poetic uh, sense of wonder, of worship. There's a rhythm to God's creating and making, evaluating, defining, and blessing. That's so different from living as if nature is alone and there is nothing else. Genesis kind of exposes the myth of the self-made person. We are born into a world filled with reason, with rhythm, with beauty. But for many of us, it has taken years to understand that our story begins not with ourselves, but with God. Faith in Christ reorients our personal story, gives us a new beginning, it wasn't until the Spirit of Christ made us into a new creation that we really understood God's creation. If therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are gone, new things have come. In the beginning, Elohim. Now, the name of God used here is used some 2,000 times in Scripture, Elohim. James last week preached on Yahweh, I am, the personal name for God. Of all the names of God, James picked the best one first, Yahweh. Elohim, however, is not a lesser significant name for God. El was the common cultural word for God in that in those cultures. Israel, however, always referred to God as Elohim, some 2,000 times in the book of Psalms, for example, book two, it's the predominant use of the name God, Elohim. What's interesting about this, and English doesn't quite gra grasp it or pick it up, is that Elohim is a plural. It's a plural of intensity, a plural of reverence, a plural of worship. 
Now, we don't have that concept in English. In English language, plurals mean multitudes or many. It's something you count up. Uh, maybe, you know, when we speak of uh, the United States, we're not counting states. The United States is kind of a plural of intensity. It speaks of what we are as a, as a unit. And that is what Israel understood by Elohim. This is the God above all gods. Now you immediately kind of are thinking, well, there are no gods. They are a nothing. But they are a nothing, the gods of the culture. The gods of our culture, of money, sex, power, sport, these gods, we could say, well, there's nothing. There's no competition between these gods and God Almighty, God Yahweh, God Elohim. We could say that, but that nothing has become something in what we worship, in what we produce, whether it's in metal or mental whether it's a wood thing or whether it's a thing that we have given tremendous power and reverence to Elohim is the way Israel spoke of God being above all gods gods of our imagination gods of our own creation But that truth stands in contrast to what so often we emphasize. Oprah Winfrey, for example, expressed the opinion that I think many people believe today. One of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe that there is only one way to God. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to what you call God. Or Mahatma Gandhi, one of the great figures of the 20th century, he wrote, all religions are true. Religions are different roads converging to the same point. What does it matter if we take different roads so long as we reach the same goal? Wherein is the cause for quarreling? For many, the only civil and reasonable conclusion is that the eternal one is perceived differently in different cultures because whatever we mean by God exceeds the scope of human thought, language, and experience. The global village shares different and distinctive religious perceptions of the one transcendent reality. But that kind of conviction, well, there's just really one being out there, we just look at that being altogether differently depending on our culture, is exactly what Elohim, the plural of intensity, the plural of reverence, the plural of worship, stands against. No, there is only one God. The reasonableness of this is that there is only one you. There is nobody else like Jacob. There is only one you. Would you deny the distinctiveness and the personhood 
that we apply to each of us to God. God is one. If you yourself believe that you are distinctive and individually one, and there's nobody else like you, would you deny that to your creator who has made you into his image? It's a powerful truth. It's kind of illustrated in marriage, I think, in the oneness of uh, the bond of marriage. You are married to one person. That person isn't interchangeable. That person isn't many persons. That person is one person. Would we deny the bond of marriage, as it were, in what its uniqueness says and its significance, would we deny that to the living God? In Colossians 1, we see a tremendous truth, I think, in that creation and redemption are tied inseparably together. To know the Creator is to know the Redeemer. To know the Redeemer is to know the Creator. These two are tied together and cannot be separated. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in Him all things were created. And it ends, for God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. Does your story begin with the God who creates. If it doesn't, then you shoulder a tremendous burden to invent for yourself your significance, your meaning, your importance, your purpose. If it begins with you, and this is what is so difficult, I think, for our young people, because we, in a sense, are expecting our young people to discover and invent their meaning, their purpose, their significance. Go for it. Invent it. Make it up as you go. Instead of receiving what God has given to us. Everyone has a story. But only one story redeems our story. We are mistaken if we think, well, we can accept God as creator. But then the next step of believing in the incarnation, believing in the atonement, believing in the power of the resurrection, that somehow that's in a separate category. It takes just as much faith to believe that God is the creator as it is to believe in the salvation atoning sacrifice of, on, Christ at the on Christ and the cross. One isn't easy. Oh, yeah, I guess I can believe in God. Not Elohim, the one God. There's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Where does your story begin? That's a question that comes from this Elohim. Everyone has a story, but only one story redeems our story. The question of the tie-in between creation and redemption. And this difference between a knowledge about God and a knowledge of God, knowing God. Let me close with this story. 
John Feinberg is a theologian, has uh, pastored and teaches at Trinity Seminary in Deerfield, Illinois. He did three graduate degrees in theology. Studied the book of Job for his masters, his MDiv. Studied God's sovereignty and our responsibility for his MTS. And then looked into theodicy, how to explain God in a world of suffering and evil. Shortly after they were married, his wife, Patricia, was diagnosed with Huntington's disease, which is a disease of uh, deterioration of the brain. I found his story, Deceived by God, fascinating because he said, I knew all of this about theology and none of it helped me in the crisis. He said, I had a theoretical knowledge, an intellectual knowledge, but nothing helped. As opposed to his wife, who he would not have perceived, and he admits this, as his intellectual equal. He was the bright one. He was the educated one. His wife, however, had a deeply devotional faith in Christ, knew the Psalms, understood a prayer life. And she said, when I was diagnosed with this, said I walked out of the doctor's office and she said, I knew what 1 Thessalonians 5.18 said. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And she said, I was committed to this. I was committed to the God who made me, to the God who redeemed me. She started reading the Psalms. And one of the Psalms that she especially clung to was Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and our strength and a very present help in time of trouble. God. And God in that text, Psalm 46, 1, is Elohim. That intensification. A God that does not allow any polytheistic or pluralistic or competing gods. The one God. And she read from Romans 9, But who are you, O human being, to talk to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, Why did you make me like this? God has the right to do anything he wants with me. Who am I to complain? It's close to 20 years ago. Patricia is still alive. John is still serving and helping her. And the companionship is real. A wonderful, powerful testimony to God's sustaining grace in the midst of it all. She took to heart the fact that her, she was made in God's image and redeemed by him. And John learned his theology the hard way. There is a difference between a knowledge about God and knowing God. I trust that this series uh, of the names of God would just deepen within you as it should in me, a deepening awareness of who God is, what God has done, and why we worship God. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this body of believers. I pray that 
Myself, I pray for as well that we would truly know you, not just about you, but we would know you. We pray this in the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This next hymn is one that we sing our cappella. Uh, enjoyed today's sermon. We want to remind our listeners that our doors are always open at Chelsea Presbyterian Church and we invite all our listeners to join us for worship. You can visit us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at Chelsea Middle School. To hear more of our sermons from our church or for more information, you can find us online at www.chelseapres.org or check us out on Facebook.